awesome nerds and welcome to another another episode of DD and tv the weekly podcast where we rewatch and recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes concept and characters can be used in your role-playing games i hey. am your host hey i'm hey. your host jeremy hey <laughs> this is gonna be fun um i'm your host jeremy and we are currently watching season one of that time i got reincarnated as a slime or as we call it that time slime uh and i am watching it with uh my competent co-host caleb who is currently uh re-sharing his memories of japan with a uh, yes. mask girl on a hillside i am indeed um i am going to move stuff off the bandwidth there because we did have some tech issues before but that's so many tech issues all been sorted out Oh man, it was it was a time. But we're here and we are ready to talk about what is probably one of the first truly little bit um, teary moments of slime to come. Um, Like, how how did you feel about that scene? Because that's probably one of the ones where I'm just like, oh, okay, okay, this is hitting a little bit different there. I mean, I liked the concept of it. I didn't like Mm. the execution. I thought it was average no, at best. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're still allowed to talk about that once we... Uh, we will. ...hear the, the um, plot summaries and the synopses. Yeah, because we are talking about episodes five and six of season one, uh, Hero King Guizel Duago, and episode six, Shizu. Uh, and these episodes, thanks to Rimaru's skill, Kaijin was able to finish all the longswords and deliver them to the king. So the two of them celebrate by heading to a bar stopped by lots of elf girls. And then, one day in the midst of the improvements on the Goblin Village, with the help of Kaijin and the Dwarves, Ramiru meets a trio of adventurers from the Guild who have been temporarily joined by a masked woman named Shizu. Fuck's sake. Even narrowing it down to the one first sentence, like, yep. is this massive thing. All right. Yep. Cool. That's fine. You've got to love those run-on sentences, huh? Oh, and that's only like, that was barely even a fifth of the synopsis for it. Yeah, um, good Lord. Hey, all right. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing that happens. Yeah, the yeah. um, pretty much exactly where we left off the last episode with them hanging out with a bunch of elf girls. Uh, and then a dude shows up and is like, Oh, you didn't finish the stores, but you did finish the swords. And Kaijin punches him because yeah. he's a racist, and I loved it. Yep. Uh, but that means Kaijin gets yeah, uh, the exiled. classic uh, politician because what, what's his name? It's um. Vesta. What's the politician's name again? Esther. Vesta. Yeah. Vesta. 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 That's it. Vesta. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he, Vesta, he's Vesta good. He's a, he's a great. Yeah. He's a massive dick. He's a great heel. Um, like it's. It's very interesting to um, see a lot of the people that do tend to be the villains, uh, it in um, that time I got reincarnated as slime are usually people that are in positions of serious political power. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the worst people in that time, um, like the ones that take a long time to get redeemed, if they get redeemed at all, are very much um, people in positions of hierarchical power, which sort of ties back into the whole um, sort of community theme of time. Yeah. That time slime. Um, Um, I was interested. Okay, because hmm. at the end of it of of the of episode five, basically King Hmm. Hero Queen King Guazel Duago 
stands up and is all like, Vesta, you keep lying to me and now you're a bad person. Um, or you're yep. always a bad person. So I'm going to kick you out. He's like, I just wanted to help. And I was like, is this his villain, villain origin? Like, is he going to be like a super bad person now? <laughs> like, um, that's that's the thing I draw from it in an RPG. You have someone who, when confronted with that, goes the other way. And now you've got a villain hmm. with stakes. Like, they've they got a petty reason, but their outcome from it becomes that much more relatable. Like, it's a bad oh, choice, absolutely. but it's still, yeah, you can see why they started to do it. Yeah, and, like, that's the the usual thing that you would see in these sort of um, environments. Usually, um, people, like, the, the players will come in and cause issue to a certain character's plans, and that will sort of up their stakes very much how like the nemesis um system works in uh shadows like of mordor shadow of, and yeah, yeah shadow of mordor where it's just like each time that you meet this guy it's actually more of a um like it's an upping of the stakes there but i think it might also represent something that is quite interesting and could help as well with reintroducing characters without having it constantly be like oh now we're just making enemies everywhere um mm. I like how it's actually maybe suggested that moving forward, you know, it's Vesta it, uh, sort of looking at her stuff and being like, oh, oh shit, there are actually people out there that are better than me and they can do a, a better job. It's something that anime, um, especially with these very hopeful characters, especially if you've got characters that basically end up succeeding and going further in a particular field that a particular uh, another like npc perhaps an antagonist was interested in at some point it can make them go oh wait oh shit these guys actually have some good um points or some good methods i'm going to then do that and then suddenly this character that used to piss them off suddenly comes along and is just like hey guys um look i I fucked up. Um, I like. Sorry, I I messed up. Sorry, I'm not sure if you have to bleep that. Um, well, no, I'm not going to edit that out. They fucked up. Okay, so yeah, yeah, they fucked up. So in the end, it's a situation where yeah, you absolutely up the stakes. But I think there's also a point to be made of seeing the ways that you have impacted positively, not only in an environment but upon certain people as well. Hmm. I mean, I like that idea of impact of the NPCs and mm. the choices meaning something, but I I want RPG. Like, I, I love the idea of someone coming to you and you go, hey, you made a difference. And, oh, I see things better now because that's the wish fulfillment I really want. But I also really want to mm. punch Nazis in the face. And I don't want Nazis to have to, like, come to the realization. I want to, like, when there's a villain, yeah. when there's, like, a full out villain, I just want to destroy mm. them. I don't want them coming to a realization that I'm better than them. Yeah. And it's and like, I guess it that's the thing. Mm. Hopefulness is good. Yeah, continue. And this mm. is a good way of doing it. Like, I like that, that realization. I like it particularly mm. because it's through words and actions and it's the influence of a character on the, um, on the NPC in this case. But mm. part of me, part of me wants punching. <laughs> yeah which is why absolutely early, like, Ka when kaijin like lays it like really takes a swing at him 
Like he's being yeah. all racist against Rimuru and he's like pouring wine on him. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'll mm. just be, I'll just be good. And then Kaijin comes in and just takes a swing and it starts off the whole trial. I'm just like, yeah, Kaijin, smack him up. Yeah. That's what that guy Absolutely. gets. And, and, and that's exactly it. Like in the end, like it's, it's all about trying to figure out, okay, what's, um, what's decent retribution um, in a particular case. So, like, yeah. for example, have you ever had situations where you've introduced an NPC that was kind of a dick and your players end up, like, breaking Geneva conventions at this guy? Um, yeah. Have you ever had situations like that? I haven't specifically. I've had, um, well, sort of, actually. I have had one yeah. case. This is in a Curse of Stride game. There's one mm. NPC who's trying to basically bring the fish back to the lake by sacrificing people. Um, mm. And he's kidnapped someone and he's about to chuck them overboard. And that's when the party encounters him. And there was yeah. a moment when the party like rescued the girl in the, in the sack and like started to take her back. And the three rogues of the party is like, we're just going to hang back a second with this guy. And everyone else kind of yeah. went off and the, the rogues enacted retribution, which they felt mm. was, was justice. And it was yeah. that little bit of, yeah, the others don't get to know about this, but we're going to mess him up. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing. Like, trying to figure out what's the best case scenario for that. Like, hopefully, like it, in a lot of scenarios, it is a case where, honestly, just punching the guy in the face is enough. Um, yeah, like, if he's being I a dick, trying- if he's being a racist, you just punch him in the face. If he's being, yeah. a tr- like, if he's trying to overthrow the kingdom, Maybe you kill him. Yeah, exactly. Like, what what is the largest amount of harm? Because, like, Vesta, in the grand scheme of villains within that time slime, is petty. He's yeah. a petty little, like, minor politician. Like, honestly, you wouldn't want to see this guy get tortured. Um, it Like, maybe punched in the face a few times, maybe, maybe given a wedgie or two. Yeah, but we want to see him be humiliated, but not injured. Exactly, exactly. And trying mm. to find that and trying to set that up with players um, can be difficult sometimes. Um, I think it's one of those cases where you kind of have to be on the same wavelength of mm. of severity. Yeah. Like I'm re-watching Campaign 2 of Critical Role and there's the, the character of Marius on their ship mm. who the PCs for some, I can't remember. Honestly, I tried to watch when I got up to that bit, they take an instant dislike to him and yeah. they bully him. Like it's full on bullying, but it's played yeah. for laughs. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, but cause he's kind of a dick. Um, yeah. So, but they don't like, you know, toss him overboard and feed him with sharks or anything. They just kind of, you know, haze him. They say, Hey, Marius, have you killed anyone yet? And he's like, Oh no, you don't need to kill someone. Like, no, you do. You do now come back in an hour if you killed someone otherwise don't come back kind of stuff but they're not they're just bullying it's not um yeah it's not leaving him to die on a forsaken rock or anything mm. like, and so I, it's I that think proportion sort of, because mm. sorry i interrupted but it seems no, like continue. that where you're on the same wavelength it's like you understand that you've created this character who they dislike and you're like this is the level of it if it gets out of hand then i'll step in but if it doesn't, mm. then feel free. So it's yeah, kind of knowing exactly. who 
knowing what they're going to, how far they're going to take it. Exactly. I think it can be down to um, this dichotomy between trying to preserve the integrity of the world and also trying to preserve the sense of collaborative storytelling. If they're like in a particular case, you sort of have two options there. One, you make it very clear that if someone really looked into this, um, they're, they're really, they really are just hazing this poor guy. They really are just this, this random dude that just for whatever reason they've taken a disliking to. And, you know, you can use that as like, maybe the party isn't always nice guys or really always have it if they, oh yeah. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. PCs aren't always nice. Um, But I guess the other route you can go down is that if they have been like, Hey, go kill this dude. And then an hour later, this guy comes back covered in blood, sort of being like, okay, I did it. Will you accept me now? Um, I like that because you can make them go. Yeah. Yeah, How do they go? They're just like, oh, oh, oh no. (laughs) We persuaded too hard. Yeah. Um, See, I I like the idea that you can either go the the horror route of that. It's like, oh God, he actually killed some people. Or you can mm. lean even further into the humor. It's like, well done. You're like a 10th of the way to being accepted sort of thing. And like really go for the dark comedy. Yeah. Hell, that would be a very, very Who'd you kill? Did you kill like a guard or someone? No, you killed a beggar. Oh yeah. Okay. Special. And really, really lean into that. points. Yeah. That would be an interesting villain. That would be a very, very interesting villain. Just one that if we have a party of people that have just started really hazing this guy and started telling oh, him yeah. to do like this really messed up stuff. It just, I don't know. It just so happens that he keeps on being persuaded to do like this increasingly unhinged stuff and just becomes oh. the BBEG. I mean, I, I love that as the servant that the party has or the bartender from the first inn mm. that they keep like stealing from or something. And he's like, yeah. put everything into motion of, and that's how I'm going to destroy the world, just to kill you kind of thing. Yep. <laughs> You've been increasing in power for t- uh, too quickly for too long. I just needed to get that little bit further. You can kill a god. Well, I have become more than a god. Um, <laughs> I am the innkeeper. <laughs> I control your ale. <laughs> <laughs> I control all inns. Um, I, I oh, really like that idea as a NPC villain. It's just fun. I, yeah. I like. I would have liked it if Vester had come back as a villain, but I'm quite happy with the way it went because it does mm. hit that theme of the series. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even if he's, um, you know, super sad that Senpai, like, Gazel yeah, Duago, yeah, Gazel Duago, mm. I have uh, issues with. Gazel Dwarga, who I thought he was going to be a dwarf, for one thing. Mm. Um, and but he's all like, "I'm a badass hero king." I'm just like, really? That guy? Uh, the thing is, he he is actually a dwarf. He's just he's so big because he's the most powerful dwarf. He's the tallest dwarf, so he's tall enough to be a human. I don't like that. Yeah, no, I've, I've <laughs> never much like... liked that design either, but. I mean, I but yeah, he is technically supposed to be a dwarf. 
I, I fully subscribe to the the Discworld thing that you can have someone six foot tall and be a dwarf if they were raised as a dwarf and they believe in dwarf customs mm. and they live like a dwarf. But mm. that dude's just drawn as a human. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a that's just a dude. Just yeah, that's just guy. a guy. That just looks like all the other humans. Like, fuck. We got we got Steve Duago over here. Yeah, I just when you have the goblins evolve into hobgoblins because they're given a name, and then you have a dwarf who's much bigger and taller and looks like a human because he's a hero king. It's like, did he evolve into a human? Are you saying the dwarves are like a lesser evolution of humans? Mm-hmm. Like I'm starting oh, wow. to see a problem with it here. <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, it just feels like it wasn't really time-inducing eugenics. Yeah. Like every other isekai, damn it. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but that explains why Vest is all racist and stuff because apparently you just like change races all the time. It's like, yeah, you're lower yeah, than exactly. We won't get into that. Um, yes, no, we don't. We don't. If we wanted to get into eugenics and isekai, there is much more furtive land elsewhere. Oh um, no, let's not. Yeah, it's, let's let's not and say we did. Huh. Yes, let let let's say that. Let let's never go near any of those ever. ever. And let's and, just and try to avoid it out of fact uh, your role playing games. They exist, and we just add that to the list of things we cry about at night. Yeah. Speaking of things we cry about at night, I want to talk about the mm. trial. Uh, I the trial. Yes. Because mm. uh, I quite liked, well, I didn't like the way the trial was handled, but it did make mm. me think about how trials occur in an RPG. Because trials mm. in real life are incredibly drawn out, slow things. Yes. Like you're sitting there for months and then the judge is like, yes, and we'll approve this adjournment. So come back in another month. Um, mm-hmm. but I like putting the party on trial for something. Yes. And making uh, them argue like their case. The yeah. most recent one I did, I really like this one actually, was quite a ways back in the adventure, they'd had to kill a noble because the noble had mm. basically had to sell his soul. It was a whole bunch of things. He sold his soul, so yeah. they had to kill him because he was bad now. And everyone at the time kind of went that was the right thing to do like all the nobles guards said yeah you did the right thing because he was becoming a monster we're not going to speak of this ever again but of course there was investigation mm. because it was technically treason yeah and this is little I, bit of treason. yeah so i had a little bit later once they were much more powerful and like were out saving the world kind of thing and like the only hope for humanity have that crime mm. come back to them and they go to a village and somebody's on trial for the murder they committed. Mm, and, okay. and basically this guy's like, yeah, I killed the Duke. I'm the one that did it. And when they talk to him, they're like, oh my gosh, who, who convinced you to do this? Like, no one convinced me. I just realized that the world is better off with you people free. And then make them have to defend mm. that guy. And I like it of... Either you so put them act, on trial. Having them act as lawyers as opposed to like yeah. actually the defendants. Yeah. So either always having them on the defense, I think that's an important mm. thing. Um, but yes. either make them the defense for somebody else or actually have them be the defendants. Having them be mm. the defense lawyers means they get a, more of an opportunity to role play and they get to argue the case that they put forward. Whereas yeah, true, having them actually. as a defendant, it's like, well, you just talk to your lawyer and he makes the case for you. Mm, precisely. 
but I like that that idea of point, you're going to have yeah. to convince a jury. Yeah. Mm. And it also okay, gives the DM. That mind. That's pretty cool. It gives the DM an opportunity to play devil's advocate and really just go, but what about this time when you did this? What about this time? What about, and really kind of go at them for all the little finicky things that they normally come back at the, the DM for. Like, but, exactly. but they said this earlier. Yes, yes. Um, it reminds me very much of the uh, the Chrono Trigger route. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so the way that they do it in Chrono Trigger is that, you know, you have the uh, the big old little set of mini games at the start. And depending on what you do in those mini games, like the little like tiny decisions that you make, you know, not immediately going to help someone up or... Um, yeah. Or like picking up something that was uh, laying around and just keeping it. Um, but it was actually someone else's stuff. Um, you have a situation when later when the trial comes along, turns out that all those little decisions there, people were watching and people are just like, oh, this person, you know, um, just straight up picked something up off the ground and just pocketed at it. Like they, they don't seem like nice people. Um, mm-hmm. Or they do actually bring it back to someone. They have a look around, ask like, you know, what's like, whose thing is this? And then suddenly the person that, whose thing they returned is like, hey, like we, we, um, that I remember them coming up to me and helping me out. Like these are genuinely nice people. I don't see why they're on trial here. So like character witnesses are yeah. also a very, very useful thing during trial scenes as well. I, I find it interesting because the cult character witness thing is kind of subjective mm. because you can also have it be abused. Like obviously you can modify memories in D and you can cast spells and all these other things. Mm. Yes. But I like that idea because people use mock trials in the real world. Like that's yes. a thing. That's a, a training tool mm. that people have. Like this yeah. is traditional it's, it's role play improv. Yeah. Well, not even, not even like improv, like lawyers will have, here's the information you have. Here is all the evidence you have. Mm. You will be the defendant. You will be the the um, prosecutor, prosecutor, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mark you based on your arguing abilities because that's what you're going to be doing in the real world. And that yeah. idea of role play is inherent to an RPG. That that's yeah. kind of what you're doing in the first place. You're going to be the the fighter. You're going to be the rogue that wants to go a different way. Argue it out. Convince yeah. yourself of doing something else. So that idea of having trials, of having character witnesses, it seems almost inbuilt. Like it should mm. be something that's there from the very beginning. Like this is something that you could easily adapt over. And I don't think it happens very often because I think people don't really want to play a trial. Like we want to play mm. action adventure stuff. Absolutely. I think... At a certain point when you've gotten invested enough into the characters, I I don't know if you'd be able to do it as a one shot because you'd need to try and convince people why should you care about this thing. Mm, I definitely don't think if you want a defense. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd want want it to be like sort of. mm, So go ahead. I was going to say you'd want it to be once they're invested in the characters and the outcome matters. Hmm. It would be a very interesting recap, way of doing yeah. a recap in some ways. If you yeah. want to get the players readjusted to maybe some stuff that you set up a little while back. 
um, mm. that would be a really good way to set up a trial. Um, as opposed to how they do it here, which is unfortunately more of a character setup scenario and more mm-hmm. uh, with like more setting up Duago um, and this sort of burgeoning relationship with the Dwarven Kingdom. Yeah, like that, just the so, trial to me could have been a whole episode because mm-hmm. their lawyer gets bought off. Um, Vest is like really hamming it up. It's like, I'm so injured. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's done within about five minutes because it's like, okay, cool. Your defense lawyer has been bought off. So he's just buying the same side. You don't get to talk. The king makes a decision. The king inquires about Kaijin's character or something and then decides in a different way. And it's like, there was no interaction in that. That was an NPC deciding your fate. Yeah. So that was yeah. a tricky. I didn't. I, I would have liked them being able to prove that Vesta was lying or prove the defense attorney was bought off. Like that to me is an adventure. That yeah. is when you get called in and it's like somebody's on trial and they're like, I know my my defense lawyer is on the take. You've got to prove otherwise and then I can get someone better and mistrial. Like that to me is an adventure. This was just things happened and then the king came in and yeah. saved it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think... Part of it is down to the fact that it's not really where slime wants no. to have its focus. No. Um, but yeah, if I was doing that as a game, I would a hundred percent want that to be an event, it, as opposed it, to just a, a cutscene that happens. Yeah, a cutscene. Yeah, yeah. The, this was the denouement of the time in the uh, dwarven village. Wait a second, sorry. I said that was the denouement for their time in the Dwarven village. It's like, that's the end. Yeah, that's like, just the epilogue. And you went to trial, but hey, you were exiled anyway, so it's fine. That's why they're yeah, able so to go with like, you to the goblin village. Hooray. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. Like, he, he was already headed off with them. So it's just like, it's it's an odd plot point to have ultimately. But yeah, hey, it, it mean, gets it, things it sums moving. Up, it sums up Kaijin's character as well. Yeah. That he makes this statement to... Like, he will stick up for somebody who is seen as a monster. Mm. He, once he gives his word, it is final, no matter what, how much it hurts him. Like, he clearly wants to go back and serve the king. But Mm. he's, like, full on tears when he gets exiled. And it's like, but I gave my word. And that is something that I will stick by. And that's an important character moment for him. Absolutely. I think it's good if you view Kaijin from the point of view of a player character because yeah. that would generally be like a very interesting moment for a player character um to have like this king that they served be like hey how are you doing like what you doing yeah how are you doing <laughs> um the the guy the guy's voice is so deep in season one uh, it's so it's, it is it's so insanely deep. deep it is so it's Geralt times three mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't check who's the voice actor. Like I'll probably check now. Hold on. Uh, the <laughs> voice actor, Jeremy Google. Someone. That, I can't remember if that is um, a voice actor that I would know because I do the exact same thing. I look up voice actors all the time. But yeah, it, it's a very good interaction in terms of a slight NPC to PC interaction. But Kaijin, I feel, doesn't really have the staying power as a 
player character, which is why it definitely feels like a conversation between a bunch of NPCs. Yeah. Like Kaijin's really cool does. as a character, but not a PC type character. Yeah. And that, but that does feel like a lot of this, this series so far that yes. uh, Rimuru is the main character. And he's just kind of watching everything else play mm. out. He doesn't really take much of a hand in it. And I suspect that's going to change. This is kind of yes. setting everything up for it. Yes. As um, we start getting into um, Shizu, a couple of the other yeah. characters that are going to show up a little bit later on. Um, well, we've got three new characters, four new characters if we count the Guildmaster. That's true. That is very, very true. Um, yeah, so, but like... But it is called Of Fuse. all the characters, Shizu is definitely the one that is going to make the most impact here. Um, yeah. This is sort of where we start getting into the... Um, the outworlder, or what was it? What was it called the the otherworlder setup? Sure, yeah. Um, and can, can I just point out that the uh, the guildmaster that gives the other three their job is called Fuse, just like the author. Mm. Oh uh, shit! Actually, <laughs> yeah, I I, I I I had not made that connection. That was oh, that's great. No, Fuse. Um, I think in in as the the name of the the creator is with a z and this is with an s but still uh but yes shizu yeah. kind of shows this was more the more traditional adventuring party that i'm used to yes like when it's when, it's um, definitely much your thief your warrior your mage warrior, mage and then you've got the mysterious outsider who shows up wearing a mask and is like can i join exactly. you as well and yeah, has, this is, this up is having, shadow like, from final pounds. fantasy 6 over here yeah <laughs> it um, really was spot on. So she's you kind of automatically you go, okay, here's someone important. Here's um mm. what we're used to. I wonder if she's gonna have yeah. superpowers. Oh man, she does. Yeah, well, well, Shizu's the one that um trapped Feldora. Yes, as we well, we don't learn that in this episode, but it seems pretty clear. Um, because we have yes. those flashbacks. Uh and she seems mm. we do there was like once once Rimuru's talking to her about how he was reincarnated here and she's like, well, I was summoned here. Um, mm. I think Rimuru has like the flashback of, oh, someone's summoned and that means they're a weapon and they can't defy their master. I was like, well, I wonder if that will be important. Yes. Um, wow. So it's interesting in the light novel because Shizu's story is sort of sprinkled throughout I'm not sure how I like how the um the series does it, but I understand that they're sort of wanting to get more to the point. Um, and it's more do that. keep a uh, very very plot focused. Um, so, but when it came to the light novel, her story and her backstory was sprinkled throughout, whereas like in the series, it's going to be more of an an info dump. Um, yeah, I mean, it's already feeling like an info dump. Mm. That she, as soon as she and uh, Rimuru get a chance to talk, it's like, oh, you're from Japan. I'm from Japan. Hey, I came mm. through. Boom. Here's all the stuff about me. Boom. Here's all my summoning stuff. Boom. It's like, all right. Mm. And then we get a flashback of when she arrived. And like, there's this fire demon. And it's like, mm -hmm. all right. So I guess you're inhabited by a fire demon now. Yeah. Like L that's literally by a summon. Yeah. Yeah. Literally by a summon. Oh, mm. uh, um, but yeah, you I, didn't I, like how um no i the japan stuff was handled yeah there was this 
there's this opportunity for this wonderful moment where it's explained that she came from a time when there were bombs mm. falling and all this stuff. So clearly during World War II and the air raids. Yeah. And this is actually going to tie in with um, a little bit of what we were talking about last week with the fan service. Rimuru shares his memories of Japan with her. And mm. it was starts off with, oh, look, it's a computer. Oh, look, it's his elf porn. And I'm like, yep, yeah, because he's sharing memories and he thinks she's hot. And like, all right, so I'm going to forgive that. But all mm. the stuff he remembered, it felt like newsreel footage. It wasn't him going to these places. Like, I would have liked it a little bit more if it was him mm. experiencing this stuff rather than just hear a fact about how Japan changed. That's fair. That 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 is a good point. Um, something that feels a little bit more driven by the character, and I guess. Yeah. If you are a world builder that is focused primarily on the fantasy world, yeah, maybe, yeah, like you say, it's a missed opportunity to sort of look at the character beforehand. Um, and there was a little bit as well that after, like, she shared all this stuff, um, she says, I really wish my mother could have see, live, uh, seen this because her mother died in the bombings. So I'm like, your mother died yeah. in 1945. A lot of this stuff was mm. happening in the late 90s, early 2000s. Chances are she probably would have died in it. But, like, it's no. likely... Well, it's the thing. <laughs> like, no, you would she, have been probably she, dead, too. Well, her, her mum died in the explosion. Remember that at the very start of the series, you see, like, the bombs flying down and Shizu gets caught in the fire? I remember that, but this is my point. But that was in the 1940s, and it's yeah. been a good 50, 60 years since then. Like yeah. her mother, whether she survived those bombs or not, wasn't going to see the Tokyo Tower like completed. She wasn't going to ride on a bullet train. She wasn't going to be able to buy anything from a vending machine. She doesn't get to see the, the point, future that Rimuru lives in, is my point. But she would have seen the beginnings of that future. She would have seen peace. She would have seen a Japan develop past. She she would have. The, I'm the being war. a little bit facetious. Yeah. Yeah. Being a little bit like, facetious that, about that one. I think that's sort of the point that she, they're trying to make there. Like the whole point of like getting to see peace. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of Shizu's whole arc there, which is she is someone that basically she didn't get the chance to start again once she was summoned in the way that Rimuru was. She was basically dropped from one terrible traumatizing situation into another terrible traumatizing situation um, i agree to the point i that... agree with what you're saying on that one i don't mm. think it was handled well enough first to infer any of that that's something that we're going to have to get from more episodes and more delving into this character the way it was handled in this episode was like oh this is really pretty the end mm. it's like it needed more yeah. depth than just that was really pretty. And it's maybe mm. it's my imposter syndrome. Maybe it's me always looking for the for the darker side of it. This is something that mm. I find maybe it's just anxiety. When I'm describing something in a mm. game, when I'm giving yeah. when I want that moment of this is really moving. This is really touching and deep. And it doesn't feel like it lands. Yeah. And it makes me think what would make it land? What do we need to build up? Is it a is it an anticipation of up to that point? Do we need to lay the groundwork more, which is what I think mm. needed to happen in this case? Or exactly. is it is it something that 
you can just do with very simple visual storytelling? Like, can you just do that in the moment and really get that uh, that reaction from someone? Yeah, and I, honestly, I think it's why I prefer the way that the uh, the light novel sets it up um, as opposed to the show, where is that interspersing of the thing? So you sort of get a sense of what Sheezy was had to go through um, throughout all this um, in order to get to that point. Uh, I'm coming from the point yeah. of view of someone who's seen it a couple of times um, and knows the meaning, like the 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 weight behind getting that i think making sure that there is that setup i think another thing as well is to also see have an eye out for what your players are looking out for if someone suddenly asks a question like hey do i see a notebook or like what is this thing saying or um like for for example like one of my um players just recently went up against a necromancer who was controlling the body of their dead master, not knowing that the dead master's body was here. So they have to go and like, you know, kill the heart of this um, necromancer in order to stop the, uh, like this body continuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so of course looking for the heart, but they're also like, is there anything else there? Sort of giving me the sense of like, oh, you you want something a little bit more. You want something to to feel worthwhile to you. Usually if a player is like that, it means that they're primed for the gut punch. It yeah. means that they're they're sitting there being like, I, I want to f- really feel something out of this. And that can be a good thing to watch out for. Sometimes it won't be as explicit as that, but sometimes there is a good point to sort of go, yeah, there's a notebook there or there's a letter there or there's a trinket that would have had a little bit of meaning to you. Um, like when players, like when you see them going for a little bit more, you're just like, okay, you're invested, are you? Okay, gut punch. Yeah, when they start when they start looking into the world, when they start exploring the world and wanting to know more detail about it, it's because they're interested. And it's because not that they necessarily want the gut punch, but they want to experience it. Mm. But when you realize that they're wanting to experience it, you can go for the go for the gut, as it were, because yeah. that's the experience you want to give them, apparently. Um, but it's because yeah, they're like- expecting that emotion, they're expecting that feeling to come through. They're wanting that. Mm. And your job as a DM doesn't start and end at just, you know, the interactions with what you've written and the interactions between the players. You also have to listen to what's being talked across the table. What's being, what's the stuff that people are making jokes out of, or what's the stuff that people are just like, Oh, remember all mate there and stuff like that, because that's usually the stuff that they've been talking about in amongst themselves when they've, have their like little water cooler conversations or like mm. been talking about the game itself. Like those points where you start seeing them make the little in jokes. That's the stuff that you want to go. Okay. That obviously had an effect on you. Um, let's, I mean, that's where, where I can both, plumb the depths. We're both looking at this from a game master perspective, because that's what we will play most often, but that's advice for mm. players. Listening to this, tell your game master the bits yeah. that you really enjoy. Tell them, yeah. hey, I keep thinking about this bit. I keep remembering this bit. When I tell people about our games, this is the bit I recommend or remind yeah. them or tell people about. 
because believe me, that's yeah. the bit. I mean, the game master will love to hear it for one thing, but it also yeah, gives them the game that master will go to sleep smiling if you tell them that there's a particular part that you've really enjoyed. Ooh. But it also gives them that permission to go, okay, well, we can lean into that. That's the kind of stuff you enjoy. All right, we can get more into yeah. that. And because we don't know, we love feedback, but we have no yeah. idea what's going on. God, no. Like, <laughs> my players keep on making cracks about the fact that I do cliffhangers all the time. Um, Damn right, you should. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. How are you going to get them coming back? By crafting a good story? I'm trying that shit. Um, my, players, uh, make crack. Main thing. <laughs> my players uh, make cracks. My players make cracks about the fact that I dangle something shiny in front of them, uh, quite regularly. Uh, yes, the keys. Yeah, and sometimes it's literally just to fill in time, and sometimes yep. it's like plot hooks and just to see what they want. There was one great instance where I needed to fill in some time on a journey of a skyship, mm. and um, I basically just did a random encounter, and the captain said, "Cool, we're going to try and beat the." Um, the record for how long you can do this this trip trip in. Um, so during certain hours, we're going to see if we can go faster, and we're going to ask everyone to stay off the deck during that period. And it's like, cool, that makes sense. But the players yeah. are like, something's going on. We need to investigate. Mm. We need to check and find out what's happening. I'm like, sure, we can spend two hours of you trying to get on deck during the lockdown period. That's that's what you want to do. <laughs> And I'll quickly but it was Google literally just great flavor for the game. The yeah, it's like, great. As soon as you get caught, they're going to send you back down and be like, no, no, don't do that. And because they tried so hard, I did actually end up having a thing like involving yeah. it. Like there was a spy who was dropping leaflets over the side as they did it, which wasn't anything to do with the ship, but it was just a random happenstance. So they only found out because they were sneaking around. So I got to reward them. Yeah. But that idea of here's a shiny thing, go get it and just see if they go yeah. get it. Uh, so that's what I get. Like if they don't want to go get it, then that happens. But so that also gives me, I was going to say, that gives me the information that mm. they can expect that, that they can start to realize, okay, this is just a shiny thing, but sometimes it's not. And we start to know the difference, but I can do that and know they'll enjoy it. And I know that they talk about it. And yeah, it, it lets me know that the game is hitting the way they want it. Exactly. So yeah, that's what we sort of, Try we should try and do like al always check the stuff that everyone's invested in, um, yeah, and making sure that you're setting things up like that. That's the other thing. You can't be just have someone go, oh, I want this this particular thing, um, and straight up give it to them. Like I need to, as a game master, make sure that we're doing we're we're establishing the reasons that it is there. So, like, for example, the same same party. Um, one of them, at the very start, asked for an owlbear mount. Um, and I was like, okay, you're not going to get that straight away. But in the background, I'm like, okay, you are on a livestock cargo ship. Everything goes tumbling out. Some stuff has survived. Some stuff hasn't. Um, and then you see, like, sort of a runty owlbear going around that seems okay with being ridden. Chances are that it was most likely on the cargo ship that you guys all fell out of. Um, and making sure that it doesn't feel like I put it there just to say yes to the thing, but to sort of establish um, it's there that for internal another logic that they can, yeah, exactly. that there's a reason for it being there. It's not just because you said it. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are not God. Um, we are just <laughs> intelligent. We're not God. Designers. We're just a genie. You're <laughs> just a genie. Yes. Yeah. Step that, your fingers, that... and what you want will appear somewhere in the world. <laughs> it's somewhere. You just might not get to it, but it's there. Genie. Yes. Yeah. That idea of the knock-on effect of they want something and it kind of appears, and they have to to have the adventure to get it, or it, it kind of comes through from the storytelling. This mm. is something I liked when um, Rimuru is talking with the adventurers just before the discussion with Shizu on the hill, where he's mm. realizing that the removal of Eldora really did change the dynamic of the forest. Mm. That he's like, oh yeah, the or-, like again that when there's more goblins in the village, he's like, what's going to happen to them if I send them away? And the sage is like, well, the orcs and the lizard men and the other monsters are probably going to kill them. It's like, oh well, that's. Mm probably not good maybe i'll take them in um but i like that idea of the start of a campaign being Mm. and this ties in with those three adventures as well the start of the campaign is veldora is vanished yeah and you don't know no one knows why exciting incident yeah that no one knows why so the adventurers are chosen to go out into the into the cave and find out, and that's your first level adventure. And then you're given your second level adventure, and that's to go into the forest and you discover these slimes and these goblins. And it kind of there's another story going on. Like Absolutely. you have have these major events occur, and the party is a very small piece of that. And they're going to work mm. their way up to being maybe the ones in charge. Maybe, but it's just kind of the responses to that event. It's something that the Dungeon Master's Guide for D&D 5th Edition does actually mention, where it's got the yes. um, the inciting events, and it might be an earthquake, it might be the change of nobility, it might be a war or an invasion or just a cataclysm of some sort. But that idea that the, the status quo has changed, and that is Absolutely. changing how everyone reacts. And in an ideal world, and honestly, a world that your players are going to be the most invested in, you want an inciting incident that is somehow caused by the players. It's why the sort of uh, unleashing an ancient seal or pulling a sword out or uh, accidentally stumbling across this secret, like you see someone get killed or uh, come across this plot, if the players have had some form of play in that inciting incident, that will mean that they are going to be more invested. And especially if it is an inciting incident that can be branched out into a whole bunch of different things. So I I partly hmm. agree with you that I think it does give them that level investment into the adventure. But it is also very difficult to set that up because what if they decide to go the other route and don't see the murder? What if mm. they're not? I, I'm a fan of the Eberron setting. And part of that is that there's already mysteries that are existing before the party comes along. Mm. And those are the inciting incident. Like you had a mystery of how did the Mornland form? Is the war coming back? All those kind of things. So the characters already have that in the background and all the little pieces you don't have to build up of an inciting incident. You've already got them ready to go. So you can just kind of have adventures and tie it in with the existing incidents. Mm. And I'm thinking another Mm. example, I'm just reading a book, uh, an adventure, also not an adventure, a game called Forbidden Lands, 
and that's a traditional I I that one but yeah i probably showed it to it. you um you did so, yeah probably, yeah yeah uh, it's very much more of a hex crawl, classic dungeon crawling style adventure, but much it's done very well. Most of the books just look like little novels and they just give you NPCs and here's the state of things when the player characters arrive in these different mm-hmm. locations. But the idea is that for 300 years, this area has been covered by the blood mist. And the blood mist, mm-hmm. if you leave your village at night, you will die you will be just slaughtered by this mist that descends on the land every evening. So people don't travel. There's not really much, Mm. like everyone goes inside at night and everyone huddles and and stays safe. But Mm. now the blood mist is gone and no one knows why, but it means you can start to travel again and you're starting to discover this world and you're starting to reconnect Mm. with all the, like the game masters give an indication of what the blood mist was and why it left. But mm. that idea of suddenly something happened. The players had nothing to do with it, but now there's all these possibilities that they can do because of it. Exactly. Okay. So more of an inciting incident where it's, it's, it is an inherently intriguing thing. It's an intriguing prospect. And if you have, as a player, made your character right, it is something that should... Uh, there, there should be something about your character that does interplay well with that inciting incident. Yeah. Have a reason um, for it. Like we'll use the blood mist as an example. Are you, do you have relatives in another town that you've never been able to visit before and you want to see what happened to them? And now there's an opportunity. So have a re Yeah. Perhaps you're a merchant. Maybe you just want to seek your fortune in the world outside and you're fed up with your tiny little village. And this is the mm. same case. If you have a murder to kick off your adventures. If you have a nobility, like the change of rulership, maybe you're a guard in the old military and yeah. now you're out of a job. Maybe you, maybe it wasn't a, a um, comfortable handover of power. Maybe there was a coup. And again, the same yeah. thing. You're a guard and now you're on the outs or wanted by the law. Like have, yeah, absolutely. when you create your character, have them in. You could have like, been framed for it. You could have been a servant that was just given the short end of the stick. Yeah. Tie yourself um, into the world as much as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's absolutely something that's more for the players there. Like, yeah, that, that's the thing. A lot of players will create their disparate characters. Um, but I'm st- starting Wild Beyond the Witchlight with uh, one of my groups. And I basically said, okay, the thing that is going to help you out here is at some point you will have visited this carnival before. And something was taken from you. I want you to tell me what that is. Virginity. I mean, what? Um, Sorry. So again, virginity. I mean, what? Virginity. Oh my god! What sort of carnival is this? Um, hey, I. But I, okay. <laughs> country fairs, like uh, growing up in the country, you see some things. Uh, <laughs> oh, you think I speak? No, I. <laughs> Yeah, I see what you mean. Like you have a trinket or your shadow was taken or your ability to smile yeah. or something. It's the witch light. I, I think, yeah. yeah, one of the um, well, one of the suggestions was three inches of height. Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. Um, uh, that, that was a good one. I, but, I like the idea yeah. of perceived height. Like mm. you haven't actually grown any shorter, but you feel shorter and everyone kind of goes, yeah, but aren't you like five foot and you're actually like six foot? And it's like, no, yeah. you don't stand out in a crowd anymore. And it could be a benefit, yeah. but it's also like, but I, 
I I particularly like the shadow one for that because it's that idea yeah. of what are they doing with it? Mm. Like what's what's going? Why is my shadow gone? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'll be on the wish line. So yeah, yeah get- tying them into the into the adventure. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, and making sure that that's the inciting incident. It just so happens that now all of you guys are in the same place looking around for whatever is around um like look at trying to search for the thing while also getting to enjoy the the witch light carnival um which is a fantastic little sandbox adventure but um yeah it's uh it's very very good when you can branch out on those inciting incidents and make sure that there is an investment there yeah um yeah yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, there was a couple of things, but I feel we're going to come up with those in later episodes so we can cover them then. Mm. No, <clears> there absolutely. is one more thing, uh, one yes. more thing that we need to do when uh, ending this episode, and that is to pick mm. the natural 20 or natural one uh, for uh, a yes. pair of episodes. Um, and I've got mine lined up. It was one that we didn't actually discuss, um, but it's about Cavill the fighter hero from the traditional adventuring party. And it happens yep. off screen. Uh, it's a natural one because it seems like he decided to start attacking a giant ant nest. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> so I'm going to call that a natural one on Cavill's part for, Amazing. I don't know yep. whether it was a nature check or whether it was just an intelligence check to not do it or like a wisdom saving throw to avoid the temptation. But yeah, mm-hmm. so getting all those animals, those all those insects chasing them, I feel that's a natural one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am going to give my natural 20 for the first time in this series, actually, to Rimuru. Oh, wow. Um, I have not given Rimuru a 20 yet. It's true, you haven't. Um, uh, and I'm going to, to give for? that um, for his... Um, per- I, I, I'm trying to figure out whether this would be a history check uh, or a performance check. I think it might be a performance check. Yeah, I'd um, say it's a performance be, check because I think I know what you're uh, talking for, about. Yeah, for the line, um, I'm not a bad slime slurp. Yep. Um, the the Dragon Quest reference to sort of get Shizu pretty much completely on the side from that point. Um, Wait, that's a Dragon Quest reference? How does she know it? She was born in 42. Um, because okay, like they I'm actually do explain questions. I'm asking okay. too many questions. Uh, yes, they do actually explain it. They do actually okay. explain it. Don't don't spoil um, it for me. I want to I want to find it, out. It stumped why. me for a moment, but yes, they do actually explain it. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. All right. Well, I look forward to und- discovering that. <laughs> but that's wonderful. It yeah. is. It is kind of picking the right thing at the right moment. So yeah, I'm going to yes. say it's a performance check. Uh, yeah, and it's cool. also one of the Natural few 20. times that, that you will see in a D and D game an actual like a reference, like an outside reference. Because so many times people do outside references in D and D, and that is the one time that an outside reference has actually worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, where they have consonant of cognizant of it, and they're like, "Yeah, I recognize. Yeah. You know that reference." Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is, yeah, like uh, there's the first time that a like a fantasy character would have understood that reference. I uh, love it. 
I love it. Well, mm-hmm. that is it for this episode. Um, please tune in next week when we talk about episodes seven and eight. And I suspect there'll be a giant flame demon doing some very bad stuff because oh, that's, that's a thing they do. Oh, I'm predicting. You know, I just kind of saw the ending of it. It's like his name's Ifrit. Look, all right, all right. We'll get started on someone called Ifrit later on. But um, until, well, if you would like to get in touch, you can send us an email. The email address is dndntvpod uh, at gmail.com. Or you can get onto Instagram where there'll be screenshots and other news, uh, which is at, G- at, at gmail, at dndntvpod. Um, as always, we are brought to you by Masters of Alchemy, the premier game mastering service in Melbourne. It is wonderful, so go check it out. It's mastersofalchemy.com. Um, it's very exciting that there's going to be a lot of games coming up in their future and probably going to be at Oz Comic Con, probably going to be at PAX, lots of stuff to do. But the best thing Fingers you can do is, yeah, leave a rating and review for this episode wherever podcasts are found because it gets us out to more listeners and to tell your friends as well. And eventually, once I have enough reviews to fill out an entire episode, I'm going to read them all out and say why we're awesome. Um, <laughs> most importantly, thank that, you. That will help us go to sleep smiling. Yeah. Much in the same way as any other reviews from players. Stroke my ego. Stroke my ego. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So until next time, stay safe, be kind to yourself, may all your hits be crits, and we'll see you next time you get reincarnated as a slime. Catch you later, guys. Have a good one. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.